you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. That's God's word. You may be seated. So uh, today is the second week of our series here in John 17. Matthew uh, kicked it off for us last week, and, and we'll look today at this middle uh, part of John 17, and then next week at the final part of John 17. And what this is going to launch us into is a six-week uh, kind of vision series we're doing called Building a Stronger Church. And in each of the Redemption congregations, uh, for the first time ever, normally we all teach through the same passage, same, same uh, topic, same sort of stuff like that, uh, we each get six weeks to focus on on what we would love to see God do and and what we would love to see uh, the church be at our congregation. And so we'll take six weeks after this series and look at what do we think as, as pastors and leaders, what do we think is God's heart for us as gateway? And we thought to sort of set the stage, we would, we would set the stage with what Jesus prayed um, for his church. And, uh, and, and so this whole thing is Jesus' prayer. It's Jesus' longest recorded prayer. It's one of the most uh, intimate and up close and personal looks at Jesus and how he related to his father. And one of the things that I love about it, even just in reading it here, is... Um, it doesn't follow this really clear, like, argument. Dear God, first, this. Second, this. And finally, that, right? It, it, it almost feels in some places like a Dr. Seuss book. Right? It's like, I and you and you and me and all of us and you and da, 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 Right? And it's kind of got this, and it's got, like, he repeats himself, right? Like, like verse, uh, verse 14 and verse 16, he says, they're not of the world, I'm not of the world. He repeats himself. And I love it because that's how I pray. Isn't that how you pray? I mean, you don't always come to God with some sort of great, well-formulated thesis of, you know, you, you just talk and you pour out your heart and you repeat yourself sometimes, and, and that's what Jesus does too. And so, um, so this is Jesus' longest and most significant prayer, uh, especially at the end of his life. I found an app that I've been using on my phone lately um, called PrayerMate. And um, I would encourage it, uh, you to get it if you've got an iPhone. I don't know if they have it on Android or anything like that, but it's a tool that I use. I don't use it every day, uh, but it's been a good way to sort of remind myself of certain things to pray for. So I'll show you a screenshot of, so every day, you know, you put in different topics and different things, and it pulls out uh, n- not necessarily everything you have listed in your, you know, in the, kind of the back end of it, but a few different things. So here's, here's some stuff, uh, you know, praying for today. So I, there's always a scripture I pray through. I'm always praying that God would help me to be more loving, 
pray for someone in my family, pray for some people in our leadership and, and for our community and for the world and there's different stuff like that. And so this is just, I don't, otherwise I don't remember to pray for all these things. I'm not, I'm not spiritual enough to sort of keep track of all of it in my head. So I need, I need a thing like that. And uh, one of the things I like about it is for each person, it gives you this sort of note card and you can just sort of put a couple things on it. You go, I want to make sure I pray this for these people. So I've got one of these for, for Molly, and there's uh, three or four things that I'm praying for Molly consistently and repeatedly, things that I really would love to see God do in her life and for her, and, and I do that for my kids and for, for each of these people. So I just thought, just for an example, I'd show you the one that I have for one of my family members, uh, Peyton Manning. <laughs> you know, I'm praying that he would have a strong neck and the ability to forgive Raheem Moore, the world's worst cornerback. And that this offseason, he'd be very likable. and Right, you, you get the joke. But this is sort of how it works. And so if you were to get this app, and I, I don't make any money from this. This is, you know. But if you want, you know, you put a picture of someone and you kind of have them in your mind as you pray. And, and for me, I, I, spe- I like to do it as I go on walks and things like that. But it's just been a helpful tool for me. And the thing I've wondered is if Jesus had this app, and he was sort of using that during this John 17 moment. And I don't think he did. But, but imagine he did. You know, and, and what would he be praying for? What are the two or three or four things, right? Because there's a lot of things you could pray for. There's a lot of things that Jesus might want to, to be done in our lives. If you were to sit down and talk with Jesus and go, Hey, Jesus, uh, what do you think in my life needs to change? Right? That could be a pretty long conversation, potentially, Right? It would be in mine, right? But, but Jesus here is just praying for a few simple things. Like, God, if you don't answer anything else, answer this. Answer these prayers. Specifically in this section we're looking at, he's praying for his disciples. That's sort of how this prayer goes. At the beginning he prays about himself and his relationship with his father. And then he prays for his disciples. Look at verse 9. He says, I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me. For they are yours. He's talking specifically about those, those disciples, those men that have been called out to follow him. And, and a disciple just simply is a follower. A disciple is someone who hears God's word and does what he says. That, that's what a disciple is. And Jesus is praying for his disciples. We'll look next week at how he prays actually for us, for those who would believe through the disciples. But if you're here and would consider yourself a follower of Jesus, or if you're thinking, I wonder what this Christianity thing is, I, what would it be like to be a follower of Jesus? That's who Jesus has in mind here. And so what he's going to tell us, it's not a lot. It's not a laundry list. It's just a couple things. If Jesus, in his last moment, had something he wanted to pray for those who would follow him, what would he pray? What would he want? That's what this moment is. And to me, it's, it's remarkably and refreshingly simple, right? Because we think about all these things and big ideas and cure world hunger, and, and this is just simple. Here in this passage, you're going to get what Jesus in his last moments wants for you. And here's simply what it is. Jesus wants his disciples to be close to his father, Jesus wants his disciples to grow holy through God's word, and Jesus wants his disciples to carry the good news. It's simple. That's what it is. To be close to the Father, to grow holy through God's word, and to carry the good news. We're going to see all of that here in this passage um, today. 
Uh, Jesus, first of all, wants his disciples to be close to his Father. And in the first few verses, that's what he talked about, right, in the beginning of this, is he talked about this longing that he had to experience the glory that he had from the beginning and, and the, the, the kind of intimacy that he had with his Father that he's always had. And he, he wants to invite us into that. He, he says in verse 6, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. That's what Jesus came to do. He came to manifest the name of God, to make plain, to make obvious God's name. Now, now the name of God, especially in this idea in Jesus' mind, is not simply that he came to, to, to make sure that we called him God instead of Allah or something like that. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, I, your name is your, it's your identity, it's your reputation, it's everything you're about. See, Jesus came to teach for sure, and he did miracles for sure, but that's not the main reason he came. That's not the only reason he came. He came to manifest the name of God so that we would know what God is like. And, and there's a relationship that he wants his disciples to have with God as, as his name is manifest in verse 6. Yours they were. And you gave them to me. They have kept your word. There's this sense that God all along has been, has been from the beginning of time, has seen those that he would set his love upon. And he's, and he's given them to Jesus. And Jesus has kept them. And they are being secure because Jesus wants his disciples to be close to the Father. Verse uh, 10. Jesus says, all mine are yours and yours are mine, and I'm glorified in them. And I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name. Keep them in your name. He's saying, God, I've showed these people what you're like, and now my heart's desire is that you would keep them close to you. You know, that's what God wants. God's not just interested in you doing a lot of things for him. God's interested in giving you things, but he's not interested in having a relationship that's based just on what you can get from him. God's interest is in you being with him, with him, in his presence, enjoying closeness to him. Uh, Tim Keller, who I'm contractually obligated to quote every sermon, says, religious people find God useful. Christians find God beautiful. That's what it is. Is God a vending machine for you, or is he a, a father who you trust? Or do you go to God only when you need money and to borrow the car? Or, or do you go to him to express your hurt, not always just asking for things, but sometimes just telling him how wonderful he is? That's what, that's what Jesus is praying for. He wants us to be close to God. And the way that we get close to God, we'll unpack this a bit more as we get into the, the Building a Stronger Church series, but, but the way, he, the, the, fundamentally, that we get close to God is by the way Jesus got close to him, prayer, by talking to him, by, by relating to him, by spending time with God. And the good news is because Jesus has manifested his, his name to us and Jesus has, by his life, death, and resurrection, given us access to God, we don't have to go through any other intermediary. Right? You don't have to, to go through a priest. You don't have to go through a really holy person. You don't even have to go through a particular uh, you know, prayer guide. You can just talk to God. That's amazing. Right? That's, a, that's an incredible thing. And that's how you build closeness with him is with prayer. And, and by hearing from him in his word, by, by reading his word. This is not rocket science. We just, 
we just sometimes resist being close to God. And that's what Jesus wants for us. I tell you what, staying close to God is hard. Isn't it? Do you find it hard? I find it hard. Right? Even for pastors, right? I remember thinking when I was not yet a pastor and, and wanted to be that, that part of what it meant to be a pastor was that you would get all this just wonderful time studying the Bible and praying and, and you would just become this sort of super class of Christian. <clears throat> right? Not true. And some of you, you hold pastors up like that. You hold elders up like that. It is hard because, listen, there's things that keep us from being close to God. There's our sin. And even when it's not the actual sin being committed or needing to be repented of, our, our sin keeps us far from God, but, but so does just temptation at times. At times just the temptation, even just distraction, right? I, I think the fundamental reason we don't draw near to God is we're just very distracted with other things, often very good things. Sometimes it's our righteousness that keeps us far from God. It's this idea of, well, I've been a good person. <laughs> I haven't done anything really wrong lately, so I don't really have anything big to confess, and so I don't really need God right now. Again, that's if you just find God useful. But if you find God beautiful, we draw near to him all the time. And it's hard, and it's hard for me. The, the reason I don't use that prayer app every day is not because I've got some other system. It's because I sometimes just don't pray <laughs> very much <laughs> during a day. And I, and I know you're like, well, you're a pastor. You're supposed to do that. I know. And you're a Christian. You're supposed to do it. <laughs> so we're all supposed to do that, right? And, 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 and listen, it's not about what we're supposed to, right? When we're on, like, if you've, been, if you've seen the beauty and grace of Jesus, you go, I know deep down I really want that. And Jesus' prayer was that we would want that. It's not a prayer to change the world. It's not a prayer to feed the hungry. It's not a prayer to cure all disease, though all of that would be wonderful. It starts with stay close to my Father. Because what this is simply is it's training for heaven. That's what heaven is. The main attraction of heaven is God. And you get to be closest to God. You get to be with God. Consider this uh, quote from J.C. Ryle uh, from the 1800s. He says, but alas... What a great word. I'd love to just use that in conversation. But alas, how little fit for heaven are many who talk of going to heaven when they die, while they manifestly have no saving faith and no real acquaintance with Christ. You give Christ no honor here. You have no communion with him. You do not love him. Alas, what could you do in heaven? It would be no place for you. Its joys would be no joys for you. Its happiness would be a happiness into which you could not enter. Its employments would be a weariness and burdens to your heart. Oh, repent and change before it's too late. You know what he's saying? If you don't like closeness to God here and now, you're not going to like heaven. And it very well may be an indicator that heaven is not yet your home. And so the call there is repent and change. Turn around. See that what you need more than anything is the presence of of God. That's what Jesus wants for us, is to be close to his Father. But he also wants us to grow holy through God's Word. To grow holy through God's Word. Look at what he says in verse 14. He says, I have given them your Word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. 
I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. So Jesus says, listen, the followers of Christ are not of the world. This is not their home. The the world's values, the thing that the culture esteems, are not the things that the Christians should esteem. They're not the things the followers of Christ esteem, right? The the, the world, and Matthew did such a great job talking about this last week, the the glory, right? And and you watch sports, and you watch athletes, and look at me, and aren't I a big deal, and pat me on the back, and, and the world esteems all that, and the world esteems money, and the world esteems, look at how many followers I have on this or this. And that's not how Jesus was. That's not how we're to be. We're not of the world. And so he says, verse 15, I don't ask that you take them out of the world. God, my answer to this is not that they would separate and become monks, but that you'd keep the world out of them. Right? That's basically what he says, that you keep them from the evil one. A number of weeks ago when we were studying 1 Peter, Peter told us to be watchful, to be on guard because Satan's like a roaring lion. And, and we said back then that, that there's no fundamental difference between Satan's agenda. Is he, his agenda is to get you to sin, right? So when he says keep them from the evil one, he's saying keep them from sinning. Keep them from, from separating from you because of their sin, their disobedience, their love for other things. That's what sin is. Sin is breaking the rules, sure, but sin is mostly breaking God's heart. Because when we sin, we we esteem, we value other things more than we value him. And Jesus says, I want them to grow out of that. I want them to be more holy. Right? And holy is not stuck up and sanctimonious and pious in some sort of I'm better than you way. Holy means at, at my core, my commitment is to obey God. That's what it means. To the level of knowledge I have, I seek to obey God. And some of you are in a place where you don't know very much. That's fine. Obey to the knowledge you have. Some of you know a lot. And a disciple, someone who hears and obeys, whatever knowledge, whatever level you have, do that. And then he says, verse 17, sanctify them in the truth. That's what this whole idea means. Sanctify means to set apart. It means to make something holy. Sanctify them in truth. Make them holy. Jesus' prayer here is that we would grow holy through God's word. That's what we get from verse 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Now listen, it is very unpopular to believe that God's word, the Bible, is truth. Did you know that? I assume you do. Not everyone believes that, right? Not everyone's with that. Some of you are here today. You go, I, this just whole thing seems laughable to me because I just don't know how you all can think that this thousands-of-year-old book is the truth. But do you know why we think that? It's because that's what Jesus said. And so we believe that, that this word is truth. That's what Jesus says. Make them holy. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Truth, but, but the reason that this is viewed as unpopular, and, and just, just for an example, um, I don't know if you guys have heard about the, the dust-up that happened with Pastor Louis Giglio 
over the last week or so. Uh, Louis Giglio is a guy, we've actually showed some of his sermons a couple years ago uh, here. He's a tremendous pastor, tremendous Bible teacher, started the Passion Movement, the Passion Conferences. They had 60,000 college students and young adults this, this year in the Georgia Dome, worshiping Jesus, lifting up Jesus. They gave over $3 million to, to, towards a goal of trying to end human trafficking and things like that. And, and he's just this incre- a lot of the music we sing comes out of this Passion Movement, and, and, and God's doing incredible things with that. And so uh, since President Obama's inauguration commemorates uh, the 150th anniversary, I believe, of the Emancipation Proclamation. They invited Louis Giglio, who's working to end human trafficking, to do a prayer, just a prayer, at the inauguration. Well, sure enough, a group digs up a sermon he did from 15, 20 years ago, where he's preaching on the topic of homosexuality. And he's not ranting and raving like a lunatic. Basically, everything he said is is almost a paraphrase exactly of, of what the Scripture says. So he holds just, just a biblical view, not a hateful view, not a, not a crate, like not this lunatic, right, let's burn Korans kind of view, like nothing like that, just, just a biblical orthodox view. The view that has been held for 2,000 years, the view that's held by, by orthodox Catholics and orthodox Christians and evangelicals, and, right, just, just articulating that 15 years ago, huge outcry. He basically, it seems, you're not exactly sure, gets disinvited from praying. Eventually he just said that my, my ministry has not been built on a let's end homosexuality platform and I'm not going to let people talk about it like it's that and so I'm just going to withdraw. And, and you, know, you know what that statement says? Is if you hold orthodox Christian views, views that have been held for thousands of years, you're not welcome in the public square anymore. Now listen, as, as sad as that makes me, and as kind of angry as that makes me, it's not surprising, right? If you read this passage, it's not. Verse 14, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they're not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. And so this idea that, that, that God and his truth and his word is truth, that is just resisted. We go, I don't like that. Can't we evolve beyond that? And here's what you need to understand. You need to understand that every view of what's truth is narrow. Right, people go, I just can't accept the Bible. That's the only way to God. Well, well, that itself is a narrow view. What you're saying is truth is whatever I think. Well, that's pretty narrow. What if someone else thinks something different, right? So, so every, every claim of here's what's true is narrow. The question is, which leads you to love? Which leads you to pour your life out for others? And, and Jesus here is saying, if you hold fast to my word, you'll grow in holiness. This means you'll grow in love. You'll grow in humility. You'll grow in an eagerness to sacrifice for others. So so this is a narrow view, to be sure. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. He says the thing that will make you closer to God is holding on to his truth. That's narrow. It is, to be sure. But this is prayed by a man who's about to go die for his enemies. I'll take a narrow truth like that. 
But let's apply that for a moment because it's one thing to go, okay, culturally, and, and, and we, we believe that God's word is truth, but practically, functionally, how, how, how much do we believe that God's word is truth? Like if we added up our collective amount reading, thinking about, listening to the Bible this week, would anyone be convinced that we really thought it was like the most important thing? Probably not. And so Jesus' prayer, again, look how simple this is. I want them to be close to me. I want them to say no to sin and yes to God by listening to, thinking about, obeying your word. Right? Some of you are going, I got this big decision to make, and what do I do? And, and, and that's all appropriate stuff to pray to God about. But you know what he wants you to do? Be close to him and grow in love and obedience through his word. That's what he wants. Here's a third thing that he wants. He wants his disciples to carry the good news. He wants his disciples to carry the good news. This is what he says in verse 18. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. I love this. This is amazing, right? Because what did Jesus just say? Jesus has said, the world hates me. The world will hate you. And you're not of the world. I'm not of the world. And, and usually when Christians quote that, we go, see, we're not of the world. And, and what we want to do is go, hey, world, we hate you. We're just going to do our Christian thing. You do your worldly go-to-hell thing, and we'll be happy. Right? That's the attitude that a lot of Christians have. And they do it in the name of, well, Jesus said we would be hated. So I'm going to do everything I can to be as hated as possible, is sort of the, the subtitle there. And that's not Jesus, right? Do you see what Je Jesus is going? They're going to hate you. They're going to view you as outsiders. But, verse 18, as you sent me into the world. In other words, Jesus is saying, Father, you sent me to the world. And it tells us in John 3 that Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That whoever would believe would not perish, but have eternal life. That's why Jesus came. So Jesus came to the world embodying a, a physical body, living in a culture that was hostile to him. He's saying in that same way that I was sent So I've sent them into the world, verse 18. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them. Did you know that you're sent? If you're a follower of Christ, you're, you're sent by Jesus in the same way that he was sent? Right? He was sent to humble himself. He was sent to proclaim good news. He was sent to embody the presence of God and, and, and be a blessing. Right? You're sent in all those same ways. This is why God doesn't just take you to heaven as soon as, as soon as you become a follower of Christ, right? You go, well, gosh, God, you know, these first two prayer requests, to be close to you and to, to be sanctified, to be holy, right, that would be a lot better off if I was in heaven. I'd be better at those things, wouldn't you? I mean, I'd be way holier if I was in heaven. You too? Right? I mean, that's just how it works. But, so, so why didn't that just happen? Got to become a Christian. Boom, you're gone. Like, like rapture, one at a time, you know? Why doesn't that happen? Because of the third thing that Jesus is praying. I've 
sent them into the world. Verse 19, and for their sake I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. What Jesus wants is an army of people who are in love with God, who are holy and humble and loving and servant-oriented and generous. Sanctified, that's what that is. To go into the world, sent into the world to live out the implications of good news and to speak good news. That's what we're called to be. That's what we're called to do. That's what some uh, in the church, you've maybe heard this word. That's what we call evangelism. Evangelism. Evangel is the idea of good news. And evangelism is sharing the good news, right? And, and, and so that's what this is. And so I want to just briefly share with you uh, as, as a church uh, the philosophy that we have as a leadership about here's how we do evangelism. There's a lot of, you take classes on evangelism. There's a lot of discussions about evangelism. There's books and tapes and CDs and downloads and all sorts of things on evangelism you can do. Our, our approach to evangelism is very simple. It's, it's threefold, and we'll put a picture of it here uh, on the screen. It's a threefold approach. There's three strands to our approach to evangelism. And we get this basically from Tim Chester and, and uh, Steve Timmis, their book, uh, Total Church. We've changed the wording a bit, but it's basically this. Here... You want to live this out? You want to carry the good news of God to other people? Here's what you do. You invest in relationships. You introduce people to Jesus. And you invite people into a church community. You invest, introduce, and invite. Invest, introduce, and invite. You invest relationally. Right, all these cords work together. This doesn't mean you can't just do one of them, but it means that a rope is strong when it's got all of these three things. When you invest in someone relationally, right, not just using them, not just trying to sort of work up enough you know, relational capital so that you can zing them with Jesus, but, but like you actually love them. Right? You invest them. You care for them. You, you serve them. You get to know them. You pray for them. Right? That's, that's one strand of Evangelism is, is investing in relationships. The other one is talking about Jesus, introducing Jesus. Right? There's the whole uh, thing. I think it was St. Francis of Assisi. Uh, At all times preach the gospel. If necessary, use words. Oh. Right? You've seen, that's a good bumper sticker, coffee mug. I hate that. I hate that phrase. I mean, I get the idea. Like, your life should be holy. But at some point, somewhere, someone has to tell someone about Jesus. Right? Like, those of you that consider yourself followers of Christ, at some point, someone explained to you that Jesus lived and died and rose, and you needed to trust him, right? Like, you didn't just look around and go, man, you're, you're nice. I think Jesus is the Son of God. Right? I mean, that doesn't happen. Like, like you got to, someone has to say something, right? Invest in relationships, introduce people to Jesus, and then finally invite into a church community. And, and, and church community, I, I, I'm using church here pretty loosely, okay? I don't mean just a service, right? Uh, this is, means the community of people that are followers of Christ. So this might be inviting someone to a Frisbee game. we got a bunch of people that play Frisbee on Saturday mornings. Great place to invite friends to hang out. It might be inviting someone to a party. It might be inviting someone to a barbecue. It might be inviting someone to a community group. It might be inviting someone on a Sunday. But this is the approach. It's all three. Right? We need to talk about Jesus. We need to introduce people to Jesus. We need to invite people into community. We need to invest in relationships. We need all that. We need to invest, introduce, and invite. Here's what I love about this. is This means there's a place 
in, this, in the evangelism process for everybody. Because some of you are really great inviters. And some of you are really great relationally. And others of you are great at sharing Jesus. This, is mean, this means you don't have to be great at all three. But as, as a community together, we're sent to be good news this way. To tell people the good news. So I want to just uh, give a visual of, of, of this a bit. See, I, I look around here. And, and this is a big day for us, uh, fourth anniversary, starting of third service. And I noticed that today, and I'm thankful for this, is a little bit lighter attendance. I hope that means that everyone's uh, sleeping in for football, but hopefully sleeping in to come later today to one of our three services. But I noticed there's a lot of empty seats. And so I want to do something just for a moment. Some of you are just going to hate this, okay? I don't care, all right? But we need everyone to do this. We need, you need to get a sense of this picture, okay? Here's what I want you to do. I want everyone, don't, don't move until I tell you. You can leave your stuff where you're at, but I'm going to get, ask you to get out of your seat if you're physically able. If you're physically unable, fine. And I want you to stand up, and I want everyone to move as far, go all the way down your row to, the, to your left as possible, okay? And if you're on one of these angle things, I don't know, just go as far left. No empty seats, okay? Get up, come on. We're kinetic learning, let's go, move it. All the way to the end, you can leave your stuff. No one will take it. Some of you, you've never even seen that side of the room. All right, Vic. Yeah, all the way, all the way. Keep going. This is harder in the back than it is. Uh, once, if, you guys can go ahead and sit down back there if you're, if you're out of there. Okay? I should come over here now to preach, I think. All right, so go ahead and sit down if you... So look at this. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? And there's a whole row here. Like, like there's a whole row there, right? There's... And, and he, here's, here's the point of this. The po- Listen, we're not on a, like, let's fill our church. and get The only people that like really big churches are pastors. Okay? Right? Isn't that true? And so this is not about let's some big church growth. What it is is to say, listen, the reason we've gone to three services is because of this. Opening seats at, at natural inviting times. Nine o'clock on Sunday morning is a natural time for people to go to church. And, and as you invest in the relationships you have, as you introduce people to Jesus, and as you invite them, and, and, and listen, some people, this is probably not the best next step for them. Don't invite them here. Invite them over to your house for dinner. Have a party. Do something else. But, but some, there's a lot of room here. And this is why we did that. And so I, 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 my prayer is that you would use whatever tools you have. And as a church, if we can be a place where you can invite people to fill up these chairs and hear about Jesus, we would love to be part of that process with you, Okay. This is Jesus' prayer for us, that we'd be close to him, that we'd grow in obedience through his word, and that we'd carry the good news everywhere that we go. Thank you for your partnership in that. I, when we did that survey uh, this past year, of how, more than 80% of people had invited a person that doesn't go to church to church at some point in the last year. That's awesome. That's why we started this whole thing four years ago. And uh, so let's pray that God would continue to use it. Okay, let's pray together. Father, thank you for 
Um, Jesus, God, thank you that he prayed for us. And God, even as we look next week at his prayer specifically for those who would follow his first disciples, God, we, we pray that you would um, allow us to be people who draw close to you. God, to, to create whatever space necessary to get time in prayer and time reading the scripture and, and, and to really want to obey the things that we read. And, and God, help us to invest relationally. Help us to introduce people to you, to have conversations about you, open doors of conversation. And God, help us to invite people wherever it's appropriate. We pray that you would use that for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, some of you are like, is he going to let us go back? <laughs> I am. But let me just tell you what we're going to do, and then, and then you, can, you can make your way back. Um, as we kind of lead into a communion time, okay? So we're going to respond now, and the band is going to come, and they're going to lead us in song, and, and we'd love for you to, to join in with that. If you're new, we always put the words on the screen and, and sing along uh, to the degree that you're able. Singing encourages uh, yourself, it encourages others, and it helps you remember some things that are really important about God. We're also going to give you the opportunity to give. There's mailboxes there in the back. If you're a regular, if you call this your church home, we'd love for you to uh, be partnering with us financially in that and you can do that at this time as well. And then finally, we're going to invite you to celebrate communion. And the communion elements are uh, here in the corner and there at the pole and there in this corner. And there's bread representing the body of Jesus, that Jesus is what we need every day. And, and the cup representing the blood of Jesus, that it's his blood that washes away our sin and makes it where we can get close to the Father. So if you're a follower of Christ, we'd love for you to celebrate communion. You can come, uh, you know, this is going to be a little chaotic, but go wherever you uh, can get a, an early move to and, uh, and get those elements and return to your seat or pray with somebody in the hallways, uh, whatever you want to do there. If you're here and you're not yet a follower of Christ, we're so glad you're here. And, and I hope you sense that you're loved, not just by us, but by Jesus. And, and one of the loving things we would, we would do for you is to try to save you from any feelings of hypocrisy, okay? So if you're here and you're not yet, you don't consider yourself a follower of Christ, you might feel a pressure to like join in with communion and stuff like that, and, and we don't want you to do that, okay? Communion is for those people who, who know they have a relationship with Christ and they're ready to follow him, and if you're not in that place, um, then, then take this time and reflect and, and pray and, and join in as we sing, but, but uh, we don't want you to feel the pressure to do something that you're not ready to do, all right? So as the band comes, when your heart is prepared, you're free to respond.